Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 101 of Buds and Blue Jays, your place for all things related to the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm your host, Jesse Burrell, and I am joined not by my usual co-host, Riley McConnell, but Isaac Bass is back and on the show today. Isaac, good to have you back. Welcome. I got much less hair than your usual co-host, but um, <laughs> and I don't have as many Don Cherry-ish type quotes, but um, <laughs> I'll do my best today. You always do. Every time you're here, Isaac, good to have you back on the show. And we got a lot to get to on the episode uh, today, including the Yankees are cheaters. What? We'll talk about all that from the Aaron Judge looking into the dugout controversy to Domingo Harmon using sticky substance and so much more. And then what is the fallout from that? We've also got some standout player performances, including what Chris Bassett is doing. We have news and notes on the prospects, the injury updates, and so much more on this episode. But first, remember, our show is free. And we're available on all platforms. So please like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. If you're listening to us in podcast land, please leave us a five-star review and comment. All that fun stuff, share, download, tell a friend. You know what to do. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as well. Formalities out of the way, guys. Let's get into the game recaps for those of you who might not have been able to watch them all. Game one of the series, the Jays lost this game 7-4. to four. Alec Manoa struggled again in this one. He gave up three runs in the first, thanks to an Aaron Judge home run, and he battled his command all night. Ended up with a career-high seven walks and five earned runs allowed over his four innings pitch. Jays were able to make a game of this late by scoring four in the bottom of the eighth, but it was really never a close game. Bobachette and Kevin Kiermeyer, though, did have multi-hit games in the losing effort. Game two, the Jays lost this one as well, 6-3, to three, and Kevin Gosman was good again in this one. Ten strikeouts, two earned runs over his seven-innings pitch. Yankees scored two in the third and one in the fifth to take a 3-0 lead, but the Blue Jays battled back in the bottom half with three, thanks to a Kevin Kiermeyer home run and three straight hits from the top of the order. The game stayed tied until the eighth when reliever Eric Swanson came in, and he had his worst appearance of the season. More on that a little later. And ultimately giving up the go-ahead home run to Aaron Judge. George Springer and Matt Chapman reached base three times, and Kevin Kiermeyer had two hits in the losing effort. The game that happened last night, game three, the Jays won this game three to nothing in 10 innings. And what a pitcher's duel this game was. Chris Bassett battled through a sinus infection and dominated again. Seven innings pitched, three hits, no earned runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. And the bullpen was even better behind them, throwing three hitless innings with four strikeouts. The Jays had base runners on all game, but were not able to get a clutch hit until Danny Jansen in the 10th hit a three-run rock-off home run to give the Blue Jays the first walk-off home run since Marcus Semien in 2021. And game four, that is yet to be played. It's happening tonight due to timing constructions. Hey, we can't record in time for that one, so we do not know how the game four went out. We're going to hope that the Blue Jays got a win on the back of a strong Jose Barrios performance, but we don't know. We might talk about that on our next episode going into it. But as things currently stand right now, the Blue Jays are 25 and 18. We're six and a half games back at Tampa Bay, third place in the division, but depending on that, they could be tied with New York if the Yankees do end up winning tonight. So Isaac, lots of stories still has to start one, but I want to start with this one here and we'll start with the true or false question. True or false, Isaac, the Yankees are cheaters. Um, uh, is, is there a middle option there? Be- okay. So the first thing is the Aaron, the Aaron judge thing. And, mm-hmm. and at first it looked suspicious. The only reason that people really said anything was because, uh, our announcers actually kind of called it out that that was like suspicious behavior. Um, I, I did see a video after by someone saying that, uh, Alejandro Kirk was setting up um, with his one knee on the ground and outside, he was really framing that the slider was going to be coming. Mm-hmm. And so whenever the slider was going to be coming, he got into this like very obvious position that it was a Jackson slider. Um, in which case judge might've been looking at the first base or dugout to know, like, is Kirk, is, is the guy going to throw a slider to, and then he was just sitting on that pitch. 
So that was the, the judge thing. I personally don't think that it, they were doing anything too sneaky there. I'm, I, I want to hear your thoughts, but the, um, Germ, uh, Domingo, what is it? German, Germ, whatever. Domingo Harmon, uh, yeah. That's two times this year. Uh, I don't know. I think that's a little bit, uh, I mean, there was one time when, uh, it showed a close up in the dugout and he put his hand on the side of his pants and there was like literal, like, sticky stuff or someone people were saying chew but that was yankees fans so i don't know if it <laughs> if it happens twice in one season and then especially the first time i didn't look at like the um spin rates and everything like that um but the i remember the first time it happened uh that they actually measured his his pitches the stuff was a lot better in the first three mm-hmm. innings when he had the sticky stuff versus when he didn't. So I think that one is a lot more suspicious than the judge. I think the judge is just a nothing and Kirk needs to do better at not setting up exactly what the guy's going to throw. What are your thoughts? I've got thoughts on both those things. We'll start with the Domingo Hormon one, I guess, because he was cruising through the first three innings in this game, right? Nine up, nine down. Now, I'm curious why it took to the fourth inning for them to put this, like to get this. Maybe he just didn't use it as much early on, but I saw that same video you saw of. It looked bad there was definitely something there and here's the quote from the home plate umpire that he made after this he said quote it was extremely sticky like my fingers had a hard time coming off his palm clearly shiny on the palm and his fingertips were extremely sticky so my curiosity on this then is as you mentioned this is the second time this has happened the like major league baseball rules say it's an automatic 10 game suspension and he is getting suspended for 10 games for this one here but when this happened earlier in minnesota they, they realized it was sticky. They ejected him out of the game, but then did not do anything about it. Like the Blue Jays postgame crew were talking like Joe Siddle and um, Jamie, uh, I forget his name. They were talking about this here. And uh, they were even saying like, if you're going to do it and all they're going to do is give you a little talking to, like you should be cheating until you really get caught. So they need to really enforce this more, set a precedent on this. Because if this is not allowed and Major League Baseball does not want this, you can't have this continuing going forward. Can I interject super yeah. quickly before you get into the judge thing? Yeah. I'm pretty sure the first time it happened against Minnesota, he didn't get ejected. And that was the whole controversy was that Scherzer the next day got ejected as soon as they caught it, but they let him go back out there and he wasn't ejected the first time it happened. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I could be wrong, but I think that's why there was so much controversy with Scherzer. It's like, mm-hmm. wait, he got ejected and his was more likely just to be the resin because he was so adamant about it. But like they let Jermaine go back in on the mound the next inning after it happened against Minnesota. Yeah, I know for a fact he didn't get suspended. So whatever right. that one was. Sounds like Yankee bias to me, if you ask me here. But uh, <laughs> let's get into that. Hopefully it's done. Hopefully there's no more of that. We don't have to worry about that going forward. But I will say the Blue Jays could have used some better offense in the first three innings of that game. But so be it. And into the Aaron Judge thing, I think you're right about the Alejandro Kirk thing. Like Jay Jackson even talked about it. He might have been tipping his pitches. I just don't like how if you're the first base coach, you're looking at the catcher and then you you because in order for this to work, you have to have a predisposition planned between the first base coach or somebody in your dugout and the hitter. You have to have some sort of signal to be like, hey, if you look at me, I'm going to do something, whether it's touch my hat or touch my shoulder or blink at you or whatever. That means a slider is coming. So they must have had this talk earlier in the game about this because Aaron judge just isn't casually going to look to the first base coach and the first base coach isn't just going to yell slider. Like this had to be a premeditated thing. And that's the thing that bothers me. But also if you look at it, 
Jake Bowers on the next at bat too did the same thing. He kind of looked over to the first base coach as well. And that was a little different because he's a lefty, but these are two hitters in a row. The Yankees obviously caught something and they wanted this to be known. Now, I don't think they had pitch calm, which some people on the internet have been saying. I, I really don't think that's the case, but there is something funny here. Even if Jay Jackson was tipping his pitches, which he seems to think he'd do, you know, he did also throw Aaron Judge six straight sliders. And if you throw a guy six straight sliders, especially Aaron Judge, and you leave one in the middle of the plate, He's going to crush it. So I think there might be more to it than that. And that's kind of how I feel about the Yankees uh, cheating situation there. Well, I mean, like you personally, like, do you have a problem with if they're picking up on that? Like, in my opinion, that's just the game. Like you, you as a Blue Jay catcher and pitcher need to do a better job at not being so obvious with what you're going to do so that Mm -hmm. people can pick up on that. Right. It was like the Gosman thing last year with his splitter and fastball. And like, I think that that's totally in, within the confines of the game if they pick up on something like that to use everything to your advantage. Do you disagree? Sign stealing has been happening for forever. So as long as you're not using technology, like you don't have a right. guy in the stands or anything, as long as you are doing it with your own eyes, then yeah, you, you, you should be able to do it. It's kind of on the pitchers to repeat mm-hmm. their deliveries, make it the same so the batter doesn't know what's coming, right? Right. So I'm with you on that. The Blue Jays should be doing more of that, to be honest. If, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're getting there, but hey, yeah. to each their own. Anyways, there's there's going to be no more fallout from this. I think all this really is, is building more drama and anticipation for the next Yankee series, which we mentioned before the show won't be until September. So we have a long way to go, but this is setting up a big, long storyline. And I tweeted out from the podcast account today. Don't you just feel like these two teams are going to meet up in October? Really feels like that's what we're heading for. Yeah. And uh, I mean, hopefully it's uh, we have a uh, home field advantage because uh I know a lot of these guys grew up playing in little league parks, but um, it's been a while since uh, Brandon Belt has been in the little league park um, being in San Francisco for so long. So uh, let's try and keep it at home if we do that. All right, that's enough of the Yankees being cheaters. Let's move on to some Toronto Blue Jays and some good player performances that we had in this series. And we have to start with the hound, Chris Bassett, and what he did here. I read his line earlier, but it was seven innings pitch, only one walk, which was nice to see from Chris Bassett, seven strikeouts and only three hits allowed. And that's three straight shutouts. In fact, that's 27 straight innings without allowing a run for Chris Bassett. Now that's the third longest streak in franchise history. Only Dave Steve and Roger Clemens have had more, uh, more shutout consecutive shutout innings than this with 34 being the all time record. So not bad. I'd say for a guy who is battling a sinus infection and congestion and literally looked like a zombie on the mound there for Chris Bassett. So he's just, he's doing it too by, throwing all of his junk and inducing soft contact. Like it just seems so simple sometimes with Chris Bassett, but he's really doing a good job. And if you look at his stats for the month of May, 23 innings pitch, 20 strikeouts, a 0.69 whip. That'll work, Chris Bassett. We like this. Yeah, I mean, he's our Ross Stripling, but can go past the fifth inning this year. Sure. So, (laughs) you know, it's nice to have. And also that athletic play. Yes. Um, at first base to get the batter out there, even with a sinus infection, like thank God he didn't get hurt because that did, that did not look comfortable. And I don't really know what Brandon Belt was doing, but um, that, like everything's just coming together. I think the last you and I went to the last game that Chris Bassett kind of had a little bit of a blowout where, blow up where he let a grand slam out to yep. uh, Taylor yeah, Trammell. Uh, yeah. Um, so we were we were apart, but then you also got to see him in Pittsburgh when he started off this streak. So mm-hmm. um, you know. I think if he can carry on even a semblance of this throughout the season, like right now he's our number two pitcher. Um, and and I think if playoffs started right now, this guy would be our second pitcher after Gosman. Was literally just going to ask that question. So let's rank the five guys. I'm assuming we're going Gosman one, Bassett two. Rank the next yeah. three for me, Isaac. Where would you put them? 
if playoffs started today, mm-hmm. just because of the gamer that I think Alec Mano is, I would have him at three. And mm-hmm. I, I, per- I know we'll probably get into him. Um, do you want to get into him now, or do you want to wait? Let's get into him now while we're on the starting rotation. Yeah, uh, I know you always ask your what concern level are you for Alec Manoa, and uh, honestly, probably a two or three. And, and the reason really? that I, yeah, the only oh. reason that I say two or three is because I think you can't get worse than he's doing right now, and I think that he's too has too good of stuff, and seems to have been even last year it got better later in the season. That I just, and he's so young still. Like, this guy is so young. Like, pitcher's peak, he is not even in the pitcher's peak years yet. So, uh, I just think that he's just going to get better and better. And I think that right now, going through a bit, like, since he's come up, he's had nothing but success, nothing but mm-hmm. being praised, nothing but saying that you're going to be the future Jays ace for years to come, blah, blah, even started as the Jays ace this season. So, it's been good, 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 other than the playoff game last year. And I think it's good this early in his career to get a little bit of pushback on that and make him realize that maybe I need to work on my, maybe I need to get my velocity up a little earlier in games instead of waiting to the third or fourth inning to get it up to 96. So I think that this is good. I think he's only going to get better. That's why my concern level is not, not that high, but you seem like you disagree with that statement. I, I mean, I get it. Look, I get your point here, right? Alec Manoa has thrown 353 innings and this is concluding his triple, his 30 some innings in the minor leagues. Right. But Overall, if you look at his wide numbers, he still pitched to a career ERA under three. So I get it. You're betting on the track record here with Alec Manoa, right? And it's a smart bet to make. Most of the time, if you look at a pitcher's career, how he does in a 200-inning sample size is going to be a lot better than the 45-inning sample size that he's thrown this year. I get that. However, Alec Manoa seems just like he's a completely different guy. His slider, that was so good. His best weapon, we've talked about this on an episode before, is just gone. The horizontal movement is not there. He cannot locate it whatsoever. It is not there. His two-seamer seems to be like his best pitch. That seems to be the one that's still doing okay. But his four-seam fastball now, especially without the velocity that he's got. And I don't know about you, man. Like, I know he's been slowly reaching up to hitting that 96, hitting that 97. But when he's starting games and he's throwing 89 to 91 to 92, like, are we sure that 96, 97 is still there? Like, if he had to throw that hard consistently... Are we sure he could do it? Because I don't think I am at this moment with Alec Manoa. Because if that was something he had in his bag, why hasn't he tried it yet if he is struggling this much? So he's been throwing the changeup a little more. The changeup really isn't that good of a pitch for him. I don't know. I am quite concerned. And like there isn't much in the data that really says, oh, he's getting unlucky or, you know, balls are just finding holes or something. Like there's none of that either in Alec Manoa's game. And I am genuinely worried about his performance going forward. Well, I just quickly, just for fun, looked up um, Justin Verlander's stats in his second and third year. Uh, I I know that that might not be the absolute best comparison, but we like to think that he could turn into a Justin Verlander at some point in his career. And Justin Verlander in his third year had an ERA of 4.84 and a whip of 1.4. So like even the best pitchers are going to go through kind of shitty years like this. And it would be interesting also to look at last year and see how his velocity came throughout the year. And also if people, maybe in the pitching coaches are telling him, you know, last year in the playoffs and near the end of the year, you kind of like, like, you struggled a little bit, maybe let's, because you're going to be throwing a lot of innings. Let's try and capitalize on creating a better change up. Let's like maybe experiment with a little bit more things so that later in the year, you could still have 
the stuff and grow your velocity from there. That's wishful thinking maybe, but I also think that it's unfair to expect a guy this young to come in and throw sub three ERA or even sub 3.5 ERA consistently every single year. To me, it's just going to be coming down. You've got to hit that strike zone more. That slider needs to look like it's a better pitch. I think if we see that from Alec Manoa, then it's going to be a good sign, but I just haven't seen it yet. The positives here though, Isaac, is that Alec Manoa is not going anywhere. Like if he's going to make this adjustment, he's going to do it on the big league roster. Because if you look at the guys down in Buffalo, here are the uh, ERAs of the four starters in their rotation right now. Yasver Zuleta, who's been kind of in and out of the bullpen, 424 ERA. Casey Lawrence, 584 ERA. Don't even Drew, think about it. <laughs> Drew, Drew Hutchinson, 648 ERA. And um, who's the other one? Oh, Zach Thompson, 779 ERA in Buffalo right now. So none of these guys are screaming at the door. Even Thomas Hatch, who just got called up to pitch in our bullpen, he had a like a whip over 1-4 as well. So Alec Noah isn't going anywhere. He's going to have a chance to work on this. And please, 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 let's at least see some signs of hope, Alec Manoa, that we can turn it around. How's Mitch White doing? Uh, yeah, not great either. We'll get to that a little later in the episode. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, none of those, all of those names wanted to give me a brain aneurysm. So uh, <laughs> you, better figure, you better figure it out, honestly. Um, and hey, who knows? Maybe uh, Nate Pearson could get a shot at starting a game at some point this season to get over that 30, e- 30 innings pitch. Mm-hmm. I would um, love to see that. Yeah. Uh, the, just to finish your question, Jesse, I think the next two I would have to, I know this might upset you a little bit, but I would have to go Barrios and then Kikuchi. But I think they're essentially a tie. The only reason I say that is I'm saying if the playoffs started tomorrow. And I feel like Barrios is a tad bit of a safer bet than Kikuchi. But I'm interested in your thoughts of how you would rank those last two. I mean, I'm a Kikuchi stand. I feel like you know that. I'd probably have Kikuchi in my three and Barrios four and then Manoa five, to be honest. Oh, but um, that's kind of just how I feel like they're going right now. But honestly, when it comes down to the playoffs, it's going to be who's good right now. Both Kikuchi and Barrios can look dominant at times and then both have massive blow up potential. So basically what I think the real answer is, it would come down to who you're playing. Would you rather the lefty? Would you rather the righty? Look at their swing planes, yada, yada, and all that stuff. But the good news We don't have to make that decision today. We have a lot more to baseball to be played this year, and we'll see how that pans out during the rest of the regular season. I wanted to add a little note here on one more Blue Jay and a hitter this time that has actually really impressed me so far this season, and that's Kevin Kiermeyer, Isaac. And he's reached base safely in all 12 games he's played in May. He's slashing 425, 500, 725 with eight extra base hits and 11 runs over that span. In fact, if you look at the season numbers, 153 WRC plus, he hasn't been caught stealing yet, and the defense, which we knew would be great, is there as well. He's got four outs above average and six defensive run saves, a one and a half war season coming into this series for Kevin Kiermeyer. Hey man, I don't know what else to say except maybe get this guy higher in the lineup. Like he's hitting, he's producing. I know you like him down in that nine hole, but the Blue Jays, especially if Vladdy's injured, need more hitters. Let's get him higher in this lineup. Yeah, and I mean, such a high character guy too. This is the thing, and this is a thing with hockey that I absolutely hate. It's like, why are you even doing the goddamn interviews if the interviews just like yeah we got to get the puck deep we got to score more goals six on the ice right yeah and 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 there was a after danny jansen hit the first walk off not not the last one the single or whatever he hit Mm -hmm. it was just like platitudes 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 and it's like oh but when kevin kiermeyer gets in front of hazel may at the end of the game (laughs) that guy fires everybody up they need (laughs) to sign him asap although the only thing about the signing thing is maybe his value is so high right now that they wait for him to get back to where Kevin Kiermaier, I guess, 
should be before they talk about that extension. But you need this guy on the team going forward because his defense is absolutely, I feel so confident with him out in center mm-hmm. field. And mm-hmm. even with it's him not- at the base, I like, I would like to see him a little bit higher up in the lineup, maybe have like Merrifield and Kiermaier back to back at the six, seven spot so that you have like base runners galore and you can do some crazy things out there, but, and maybe belt after that, you know, to bring him in. But uh, right now, like I think if he's at the nine spot, it's not the worst thing in the world because you can turn the lineup over and he's been doing a great job at like stealing a base so that George Springer can can get him home. So uh, I'm I'm not opposed to anything that they try, but I just love this guy and the Blue Jays. And it seems like he loves to be here. More hits in the nine hole than any other player in baseball right now. And I think the way this is shaping up, you know, to get a big picture look at this, it seems like Kevin Kiermaier is having a good year. The Blue Jays will likely give him a qualifying offer. He either accepts, comes back on a one-year, like $19 million deal or something, or he signs with another team and the Blue Jays get draft picks out of it. So that's kind of where it likely seems to be heading with Kevin Kiermaier. Isaac, was there any big positive performances this series, or did you want to touch on some of the negatives that happened for the Blue Jays this year? Uh, I think probably talk about the negatives because, the, uh, yeah, the negatives, those are the ones that are kind of in my head. And we talked briefly before we started this podcast about a couple of the names at second base. So we can touch on the negatives. All right. Let's start about the Kevin Biggio, Santiago Espinal thing. And neither of these players have been anywhere close to what they've been in the past. Espinal was really good in the first half last year. Biggio was really good in his rookie year. But both of them, Isaac, we were hoping to get like a nice platoon. You know, you put Espinal against the lefties, Biggio against the righties. But now we're seeing situations where like John Schneider isn't even putting Biggio in against righties or Espinal is still just, he's a ground ball machine. There's not much, you know, thump off that bat of Santiago Espinal. And I will say when watching the game last night and Kevin Biggio came up in the ninth inning and he, we needed a big hit from him to, uh, to win the game. Basically we're like, okay, Kevin Biggio, if you're going to do it, this is the time driving a run, be a hero, get your season back on track. Nope. Little can of corn to center field. And, uh, yeah, not looking good for Kevin Biggio or Santiago Espinal. I'm almost thinking it might be time to get a guy from Buffalo up here to put him in there. Like, Biggio still has options. You can send him down still, right? And just to get another look to get some production, because the Blue Jays do need some more offensive thump. You have a thought on these guys? Oh, I think I agree with literally everyone in Jays land when they say that Kevin Biggio should be far away i think you tweeted something like that you should be as far away from toronto as possible and buffalo might not even be far enough mm-hmm. um so i i'm done with Kevin Biggio. i think we have the reason that he was valuable last year and he was hardly even valuable last year was because he was a lefty on a team with no lefties right uh, and now we we do have guys that can fit in that spot and we even have guys like addison barger who is batting a little bit better uh i checked um just before the podcast yeah on the il right now that's the problem Right. Okay. So, but he's, he has been batting a little bit better and he's a lefty. So like, you can still, you can get guys up there that can do the same types of things because when it, when are you bringing Biggio in right now to bunt, to pop up bunt to the pitcher, you right, know, like, right. you know, uh, and you have like guys like Nathan Lukes and stuff that you can pinch run and stuff like that. So he doesn't really serve too much of a, per- his defense isn't absolutely amazing. Um, and then Espinal, I think, He stays up with the team, but he's really a platoon guy that comes in one out of every three games because he's not an all-star. Like, that was a cool experience for him that he got to say that he was was an all-star. But 
uh, he is what we always kind of thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he he got us going a little bit last year with how uh, jacked he got. But um, Santiago Espinal isn't an everyday second baseman. But thank God Whit Merrifield has stepped into that role. That's 100%. And it's just, I still think we need one more impact bat. So I think it's time. Start bringing up some guys from the minors here to give them a shot and see if they can run with it here. I wanted to touch on Eric Swanson here, Isaac, who was the really Now, he's been good all year. ERA under two. A lot of the stuff. He's been very good for a setup man here. But I wanted to talk about his performance in game two of the series. And it really was different from Eric Swanson. He was really focusing on his slider, especially early in counts. And Eric Swanson's more of the fastball and then his split changeup thing he's got going on there, which was really good. One of the best pitches in baseball. But he threw five sliders. Three of them weren't even anywhere close to the strike zone. And the two that were, were right in the middle of the plate. One of them, Aaron Judge took deep at the dead center for the longest home run hit at Rogers Center this year. And the other one was hit for a single up the middle. And I don't like seeing your best pitchers get beat on their worst pitch. You know, I understand the point of mixing it up, trying to change the pace a little bit, do something that the hitters might not be expecting. But at the end of the day, if you're going to get beat, get beat throwing your best stuff. And Eric Swanson wasn't doing that in this appearance. So I'm very curious to see how he looks in his next appearance. Yeah, if you're once again asking me a concern level of Eric Swanson, like even Jordan Romano has times where he goes out and just absolutely shits the bed. So, uh, you know, like this guy is still my setup man. The f- I will I will just go back to the game against the Braves when he had bases loaded and I think one out or something like that, or even no outs, and he got totally got out of it unscathed. That's the Eric Swanson that I, I know he's my setup man going walking in a playoff started tomorrow. He'd be my eighth inning guy. Um, I totally agree with you though. Like stick with what works. Like this guy's pitch pitch selection um, throughout the year has been absolutely amazing. And then just like left some hanging stuff for Aaron judge of all people too. come yeah, on. Yeah. Man. That doesn't seem smart to me um, <laughs> yeah. to get the guy with moonshot power to leave a pitch there. Jay Jackson did it. I guess uh, Eric Swanson's going to do it too. I don't know. And then Isaac, one more thing that I kind of took away from this series. Do you have any concern about the Blue Jays lack of ability to hit with runners in scoring position? I feel like this is something we've talked about since like the mid 2000s with the Toronto Blue Jays. They can get guys on base. They just can't bring them in. And if you're looking at their stats right now for the runners in scoring position, they're between 15 and 20 in most stats with runners in scoring position. Like they're 18th in batting average right now with the runners in scoring position, their hard hit rates, their WOBA, their WRC plus are all within that range. So is this a concern to you at all? Do you think this is going to get better? Should it get better? How do you feel about this? Yeah, I think it has to get better, especially with, you know, the fact that we actually have guys that can beat out close plays at first base. Um, which in the past we didn't have as much of. I would just like to see, and this is the same, you know, everyone know, you're no, probably knows I'm a huge Leaf fan. And this is the issue is when your best players aren't your best players. Mm-hmm. If you're going to win a World Series, you need your absolute, you need the Vladdies, you need the Bichettes, you need those guys, you need the Springers to be able to do things that other players can't do. And I've seen too many examples where Danny Jansen is the guy getting the walk-off and it's not a Vladdy or it's not a Bichette. Those guys need to step up and I will need to see proof of it when it matters in the playoffs. I think that we have the capability to do it. I've just seen so many, too many times when like, like you want to have the guy, like I remember in the past you would have guys, I think Alex Rios was like this. It was like a 500 average, even Gurriel a little bit was like 500 mm-hmm. average with runnings or scoring posi- yeah. position. You need your best players to have that. And right now um, that's why you like Troy Halliday so much. Um, this guy was a beast with runners in scoring position. So um, that's what I would like to see. Just have your best players be your best players. Don't rely on the Danny Jansons um, to be your Kevin Kiermeyer's right. Yeah, or the yeah, first month yeah. that chap. And yeah, we definitely need to see more of that. 
going forward. And I expect we should, especially as we get some different matchups on the schedule here. Do have some news and notes here, Isaac? I'm just going to read them off. If any of these catch your attention, feel free to stop me and we'll discuss a little more. We talked about Mitch White. He is very close, according to John Schneider. His most recent rehab appearance, Isaac, four plus innings pitch, four hit, four hits, five runs allowed, four walks, three strikeouts on 76 pitches. Stuff looks, velocity's down from last year. Spin rates are all down from last year. He's on his way up, but honestly, I don't know how successful he's going to be. And then Adam Simber is on his way back as well. His rehab appearance went a little better. One innings pitch, one hit, one strikeout, two whiffs on his 16 pitches. 11 of those were strikes. Both those players should be back predominantly soon. We had a note on Ricky Tiedemann and Hunjin Ryu. And uh, Chad Green, for what it's worth, both Chad Green and Hunjin Ryu could face live hitters in Florida next month. Both are still on track for roughly around the all-star break. And uh, Ricky Tiedemann was said, quote, here's a quote from Ross Atkins about his injury. He says he's feeling back to himself, which is extremely encouraging. And we feel he's like he's going to be throwing baseballs here very shortly. So some good news on the injury front, I guess. What's your one main takeaway on those injury updates? That Nick Frasso would look hella good oh. in the Bison's uniform right now. <laughs> he is striking that, out everyone for the Dodgers right now, too. Yeah, everyone. That is that. Why does it always work out for the Dodgers, man? Like, why can't it be for, you know, like if Moreno does well or Gurriel does well in the Diamondbacks, I'm like, oh, right on. But the Dodgers, come on. <laughs> like, that's my one takeaway is that Mitch White will never be Nick Frasso. So, you know, I, I understand the need from last year, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Like, Austin Martin's not looking like he's that much of a prospect. So that trade, even though Burrios isn't doing that well, it, like, it looks like it's decent. But sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, in this case, it is not looking like it works out. And uh, who are you going to replace Mitch White with in the starting rotation? Exactly. That's the thing. They need a surprise somewhere out of nowhere. I'm kind of with you on all of those. A few more injury updates. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was removed from game two after catching a pop-up and then appeared to hobble on one leg. He stayed in the game to finish that half inning, but then was removed. MRI revealed no structural damage, and he is considered day-to-day. The Blue Jays, for what it's worth, Isaac, have been one of the healthier teams in baseball. Like Our big injuries have been George Springer got sick right? Um, Brandon Belt was slow to begin the season, but that's really been it. So knock on wood, but we haven't had those big injuries. So hope it's nothing serious from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the Blue Jays fans on Tuesday night ate 61,111 hot dogs on Tuesday, a new single game record for dollar dog night. So thoughts on the Vladdy injury or the hot dogs? It's like very related topics there. Well, they got to get 8,000 more hot dogs to make it a true, really good number. Um, <laughs> and when it comes to body injury, it, yeah, I think if he was able to finish the rest of the inning, he's going to be okay. It might be like a 10-day DL thing, which, you know, offers an opportunity for other guys to step into that role and maybe like a Dalton Far show to show that he can uh, take that next step. We are been very lucky. Like, even look at the Yankees. The Yankees have been decimated oh, by yeah. injury. Um and we got to capitalize on the fact that we're we're not injured as much. Um, and, you know, that might be the road for Mitch White to get up into starting rotation, unfortunately, is that our starting pitchers for the first time in years have been totally fine. Mm-hmm. Since 2016, the Blue Jays made had seven pitchers in their whole rotation all season. And one of them was because they wanted to get Drew Hutchinson an appearance. And the other one was because we traded Francisco Lin- or Liriano midseason. That was it. So let's hope to have another run with our starting rotation and just be a little more productive, please. Do you have some prospect notes before we get out of here? Uh, starting pitcher Chad Dallas has been promoted to the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. The 23-year-old in his five starts has an ERA around 2.03. 12 and a half strikeouts per nine. Walks a little high, but hasn't been giving up many home runs. Just a name to watch. Chad Dallas. Keep that in the memory bank. And then our number four prospect, Orelvis Martinez, homered twice earlier this week, giving him 11 on the season. The only problem? That's all he's hitting. 
This has nothing but home runs and strikeouts. He's been hitting 160 on the season, and the power remains ridiculous, but you'd like to see some more contact skills from Aralvis Martinez. I was hoping for a little more on that front. Anything to add on those players, Isaac, or should we move on to their Orioles preview? No, I think those are pretty much like, I, I don't think we're going to see any of, uh, what is it, Chad Dallas? Never yeah. heard of him before. Yeah. And I, yeah, so I don't think we're going to see him anytime within this year or the next year. But I don't nice to so see either. we have someone doing well. Yep, that's exactly it. Now, after the Yankees, depending on how we do in the game tonight, we welcome in the Baltimore Orioles to continue the homestand. Probable pitchers for this series are Yusei Kikuchi against Kyle Gibson. Game two on Saturday will be Alec Manoa against Grayson Rodriguez. Game three, Kevin Gosman against Dean Kramer. Isaac, do you have a prediction? How are we going to do? Maybe a player to click, a storyline you're going to follow. What you got? Uh, well, it's going to really depend on if Vladdy's back or not. I'm going to say that we win the Let's series. He if is. He is. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I think we, we do end up winning the series. I think Kikuchi, uh, you know, he's kind of been going back and forth on good and bad starts. And I think he's going to have a, uh, my pick to click is you say Kikuchi Love that with call. eight to 10 Ks over Woo! five and a half innings. So that's my, that's my uh, pick to click. Love that call. I also think we're going to tee up on Grayson Rodriguez. Like he's been struggling. I think this is the one where we back Alec Manoa with like seven runs or something. Manoa only gives up two or three and has a good little start. And the Blue Jays kind of use this series to propel maybe ahead of Baltimore. I say we even get a sweep in this series mm-hmm. and we use this to start kind of really start our big midsummer run. So that's what I'm predicting out of the uh, Baltimore Orioles here. Isaac, do you have anything else to add before we call it an episode here today? No, I think uh, I think things are looking good with this team. I'm loving our base running. I'm loving our small ball. Those are the things that win the playoffs. And I like how we're developing them now early in the season. So that's what mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed about this season so far is we're not relying on the home runs like we always did. It was one of those things, not to bring back to the least once again, but I'm going to, it's just like once you start playing more fundamental, that's when you're going to have more success instead of just relying on the big home runs or the seven to one games and stuff like that. It's nice to see us playing a little bit more uh, functional and conventional baseball. Just no bunts, please. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. No bunts. Bunts are not fun. I will say I would like to see the power come back just a little bit. The Blue Jays had a 15 game span at home where we failed to hit double digits home runs. They haven't done that since 2010. So there's too much offensive thump on this team to have such a big homerless drought so let's uh let's see a little more maybe get the power bats let's get matt chapman back going and see yeah. if he can produce anything else here but that'll do it for our episode here today guys isaac thank you again for joining us always a pleasure when you're able to have uh, come on the show here and uh, remember guys like the video on your way out subscribe to the channel we have a lot more blue jays content coming for you all throughout the summer like to uh, subscribe to the channel all that stuff follow us on twitter instagram tiktok you know where to get a hold of buds and blue jays wherever there is blue jay stuff you will find us at buds and blue jays And that'll be it for us today, guys. We'll see you again later next week. See you guys.